What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Humanity Matters uh, Facebook Live event, Meet the Candidates. My name is Dr. Philip Fletcher. I am your host. Uh, Humanity Matters is where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. Uh, we are continuing our series through the summer, including this fall with our Meet the Candidates series and a discussion in pov on poverty in Arkansas. It's important for us to discuss poverty as a, a state that has a large amount of poverty. Uh, I believe it's important that we address uh, how we can lovingly, civilly, and in a nonviolent manner uh, address these situations with the men, women, and children who are living in a daily situation of an impoverished state. And today I have with me Christy Berry. She is running for Justice of the Peace here in Faulkner County, District 9. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How good. are you? I'm doing good. I'm glad uh, that you are with us today. And why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, why you are running, and go for it. All right. Well, I am Christy Berry, and by day I am a speech-language pathologist working in early childhood special education. So that means I travel across to daycares all over Conway and I provide speech therapy to preschoolers in their daycares or their, their preschools and their centers on behalf of the public schools at no cost to their families. So um, I love serving in that way and providing those critical early intervention services that okay. provide you know, the, the ways that we can connect kids with the resources they need to be successful in school and in life. Okay. And um, as an SLP, I am an evidence-based practitioner. That means that I don't just go in there and say, hey, I think I want to do this today. I, I have to research and read articles and use data to make um, informed decisions that serve the best interest of every individual on my caseload. And I have to use critical thinking and problem-solving skills to take that data and analyze that data in order okay. to make those decisions. And I think I can take those skills to serve every individual in Faulkner County and District 9 as JP on the Quorum Court. I want to increase accessibility and transparency of the Quorum Court and listen to the residents and be their voice. I want to diligently research and be knowledgeable about okay. the issues that come before the court and make data-driven decisions and be fiscally responsible so that I can make good use of taxpayers' investments in Faulkner County. Um, a little bit more about me personally. I graduated from Cabot High School in 2005 and went to ASU BB to get my associate's degree. And then after that, I married my high school sweetheart, Kyle. Okay. And we went to ASU in Jonesboro, where I got my bachelor's and master's in communication disorders. Um, my last semester of grad school, I had a surprise. I was expecting my daughter. Right. And when we thought about how we wanted to raise our family and where we wanted to raise our family, we decided to move to Conway. Okay. We've lived here for about five and a half years now. We okay. have loved every minute of it. My husband is a stay-at-home dad to our two kids and a choir director at First Methodist in Maumelle. Okay. My daughter is going into first grade at Julia Lee Moore, and my son will start preschool at Valley Cove next year. Okay, sounds good. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Uh, once again, uh, my name is Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we are here with Christy Berry. She is running for office, Justice of the Peace, uh, Faulkner County, District 9, and we are here at Round Mountain Coffee, and so we want to thank them for allowing us to host this event here. And uh, Christy, uh, tell us uh, why you want to run for office. Why uh, run for Faulkner County, Justice of the Peace? 
I have always considered myself a servant, whether that's at school or work. I'm usually one of the first ones to get up and volunteer when somebody needs something or, okay. you know, at church or even choosing a helping profession in, in my day-to-day -day life. Um, but after 2016, my attention turned more towards politics and, okay. and some advocacy, especially in, as it revol uh, involves health care. And at one of the... Um, Democratic meetings, Julie Atkinson, who is the president of the Faulkner County Democratic Women, asked me if I was thinking about running for office, and I was shocked. It had never occurred to me before, and I think a lot of that was because I had always thought about national politics and okay. never had really thought about the local politics, and I think that's probably, you know, the same for a lot of us. We, we have our, our, the news covers all the national politics. But yes, the things that really affect our day-to-day -day lives are going to be decided at the local level and local yeah. government. And so after I uh, thoroughly researched every county position, I decided that um, the Quorum Court would be the best place for me to use my skills to make a difference here at home in Faulkner County. Okay. So uh, we have a question to come in. Uh, can you explain where District 9 is in Faulkner County? What is it? Where is it covered? District 9 is inside the Conway City limits, so you okay. kind of go up Tucker Creek and Donaghy over to Hogan, and then the southern border is Prince up to Meadow Lake and Irby. Okay, good. Good deal. So, we are uh, here to discuss uh, specifically uh, poverty as it relates uh, to Faulkner County. Uh, we're having candidates come in, and we're talking at the city level, county level, and the state level. And so for you, as someone who is running for elected office that covers the county, um, can you give us uh, your definition of poverty, how you understand poverty? Well, of course, I had to go to the dictionary because I couldn't just give my, <laughs> my gut reaction. But okay. so Merriam-Webster said it's the state of one who lacks a usual or socially acceptable amount of money or material possessions, which okay. seemed really shocking to me because now... Maybe that was true a long time ago when there wasn't mm -hmm. such a great divide, but now we have such a great divide from the poor to the ultra-rich in our country. And so to have just even less than a usual or socially acceptable amount of money okay. would include a lot of people, I think. Okay. So to me, though, the, the definition of poverty would be you know struggling to meet your basic needs, okay. I guess. All right. Okay, good. Um, what... Uh, can you describe any personal experience uh, that you've had with poverty or an interaction uh, with an individual or family who has been in poverty? Can you explain uh, to us that, uh, that experience? I have had a lot of um, issues with like, financial insecurity and some hardships. And okay. I think, luckily, I've had enough cushion from you know family support or and, and that I haven't actually reached poverty. But I okay. will just share some of my experiences. Um, I grew up with a single mom after my dad was in and out of our lives, and then he committed suicide when I was 14, Sorry so that. after that. Um, and especially, I do want to take a minute to say, you know, there's another suicide in the news today, and so if you are someone who struggles with um, depression or mental health issues or thoughts of suicide, please reach out and get help. There are helplines, or you can reach out online, reach out to me, and I will try to help you as best I can. I just want to put that out there. But, um, so after that, I grew up with a single mom, and I mean, luckily, his life insurance did pay out, even okay. though it, it was, we didn't know that it would. Yeah. And so we had that cushion, that safety net, and a lot of people don't have that, though, mm -hmm. when a spouse dies or gets incarcerated or something, and they're a single parent, they don't have that cushion. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I got married really young. We worked our way okay. through college and we worked and we had scholarships, but we still needed student loans to make the ends meet, to buy the books, you know, pay for housing, pay for things like that because it was so expensive to go to school. Um, and so now we're still paying off those student loans okay. today, 10 years later. And then I actually, I graduated with my bachelor's from Jonesboro and we actually moved to Memphis so that I could go to grad school at the University of Memphis, which was a really prestigious school for um, speech pathology and audiology. It was like highly ranked and everything. I thought it was really great. And then when we moved there, my husband had not finished his degree yet. And okay. so he was having a hard time finding a job. When he did finally get one, he was making minimum wage. And I was, I had an assistantship, but it did not pay very well. And so I, we were really struggling. And then I, um, I have depression and anxiety myself. And this was one of my first major okay. depressive episodes where I could not get out of bed, could not go to school, wasn't functioning. And um, I did finally get some help. I went to the Student Health Center mm -hmm. on campus and was able to get some counseling and get some help. But when I withdrew on a medical necessity so that I didn't ruin my, my GPA and fail out of college, then I lost my access to those healthcare services. Okay. I lost counseling and then I felt such shame about it all, even okay. though now I know, like, if I had had cancer and had to leave school to get mm -hmm. treatment, I wouldn't have felt ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have felt ashamed of having to leave school to take care of my mental health, but I did. Okay. But, but having to leave and take care of that without any access to help, it took me some months to recover before I could finally get around and get a job, and at that point I was making $9 an hour, my husband was making minimum wage, and we felt really comfortable, like okay. coming from being students and having to pay for books and, mm -hmm. and everything, tuition, to just being two people working, even though it was really low wages. Uh, I don't even think we were full-time employees. You know, they capped us at like 30 hours. So, uh, but we felt really good. But now looking back, we didn't have insurance. We mm -hmm. didn't have any kind of payments, any car mm -hmm. payments or you know, even cell phone payments, anything like that. We lived in a loft apartment. so. If we had had our unexpected pregnancy then, <laughs> I don't know what we would have done. But at that time, we felt great. But um, uh, then it was kind of a miracle how I got back into grad school because I was working. I was an assistant manager at a gas station. And one of my professors from undergrad happened to come through Memphis out of all the gas stations she could have picked. With all the attendants that were yeah. on, you know, right there, all the, the, I mean, there were literally like yeah. four gas stations at my intersection, and she came in and met me and was like, "Oh, how's school going?" And I was like, "Uh, not so great, you yeah. know." And so she happened to go back and talk to my professors from undergrad, and they helped me get back into school there in Jonesboro mm -hmm. in Arkansas State, and. So I was able to get counseling and have access to some resources to make it through grad school and have some really understanding professors and great friends that helped me get through that hard time. But, so that was amazing. And, but not everybody has those things that work out. And whether, you know, it's kismet or fate or I believe it was, you know, God definitely mm -hmm. working in my life. Um, I had that, that cushion and that way to get through and succeed okay. even after I had just failed. Not, I it felt like failing so hard. Um, and then but when I got back into grad school, my last semester of grad school is when I had uh, found out I was pregnant with Kaylee. 
We didn't have any insurance, and it was before the full rollout of the ACA, okay. so there, the, the Affordable Care Act. So there was no access to health care. Um, I applied for insurance, but they were going to charge a 300% surcharge on the premium okay. and then have a, a waiting period. So it wasn't even going to cover the pregnancy. Okay. <laughs> so that was so hard. And then I didn't have any paid leave or even um, family medical leave act, so not even unpaid leave. And mm-hmm. Arkansas is an at-will state, so mm-hmm. uh, my employer at that time ended up cutting my hours down to like 10 hours a week. There, okay. I, I was eight months pregnant and <laughs> didn't have any recourse for that. Luckily, someone else hired me and I was able to come out of it. But there were times where we thought we, we have no idea how we're going to pay this next bill, how we're going to pay our rent, how we're going to mm-hmm. pay the hospital bill when it comes. It was mm-hmm. just so, so many uncertain times. And then when I was pregnant with my son three years ago, I had a complicated pregnancy and I used all my FMLA between bed rest and maternity leave. And then so when my depression reared its ugly head again, postpartum depression, which affects more people than you think, but especially if you have a history of depression. Um, So when I came back to work and was having trouble and then I needed some more time off to get my meds and everything adjusted, but I had already used all my FMLA and they let me go. So there I was with all that and no job. My husband's a stay-at-home dad, so we didn't have any income. He ended up going to work at Burco, I think, doing some really hard manual labor, but that was amazing that we even had that opportunity. And I just think that in all these cases, if we didn't have the resources and the safety nets and everything that okay. we did have, okay. it, it could have become poverty. It could have become a much worse situa- situation so quickly. And so I think all those experiences gave me some empathy and some understanding into okay. into some you know financial distress and poverty, and made me really appreciate these safety nets and the things that we do have to be able to help people pick them up when they do get down that low. Okay. And then also because. Um, my income is so low. My daughter went to Sally Cohen, and my son will be able to go to Sally Cohen Preschool next year, which okay. is an Arkansas Better Chance um, preschool program. So that means they get to go to preschool at no cost to us, which is amazing. Okay. Uh, once again, we're with Christy Berry. She is running for Faulkner County Justice of the Peace District 9. My name is Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we're doing a dis- having a discussion on poverty as it relates uh, to Faulkner County. And we're here at Round Mountain Coffee. You have, if you have a question uh, here, just uh, put it in the uh, comment section, and I will get to it uh, as we're going through these other questions. So, uh, Miss Barry, um, how do you see uh, poverty manifesting uh, in Faulkner County, and more specifically in the area that you're seeking to represent? I know I was looking at some of the data, of course, yeah. I was looking at the data about all this, and so one of the first places I looked was at the school district about the, the free and reduced lunch rates, and okay. for Conway schools, 49% of our kids are on free and reduced lunch, which means they're at a certain level um, as it relates to poverty, so mm-hmm. that they get their lunches free or reduced. Um, Julia Lee Moore, which is the school where, where my daughter goes and is in my district, um, 43% of our kids there are on free and reduced lunch. So that tells you something about how high the, the poverty or at least the financial insecurity okay. in our district is. And even when I, I started talking to my husband about it, he's like, don't you live in one of the like, most affluent areas of the city? I would think it's not high. And then I told him the numbers and he was just shocked. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you wouldn't think that just looking around. 
but you can't always tell if somebody's living in poverty by where they live or how they look. When we bought our house, I was working at a private therapy company and making really good money and we were very secure. And then I had my unexpected pregnancy and complicated pregnancy and everything else and it's um, just gone downhill from there. So now we're kind of house poor because so much of our income goes towards our mortgage payment. But anyway, um, I'll get off of that tangent. Um, But so some more data from the 2016 American Community Survey, um, 18.8% of Conway residents live in poverty, 7.8% have a disability, and 11.6% of people in Conway under the age of 65 are uninsured. And I think those numbers are really important because people with disabilities and their families who are trying to support them um, face employment challenges. They can't find either they're unemployed or very underemployed. And that hurts the, the people with the disability and also their family who are trying to care for them and give them the support that they can. Um, 95% of low-wage or part-time workers have no access to paid leave. And so that's even okay. leave to be able to take a sick day. You know, if your kids are sick, you're having to choose between having to go to work because you're afraid you'll lose your job or sending your kid to school with Tylenol or whatever, which just brings in all of that its own issues. Um, a sudden illness can decrease an uninsured household's assets by about $4,000 more than an insured household's. And so a sudden illness is going to hurt you, yes, but if you're uninsured, it's going to hurt you even more. And so we have 11.6% of our people in Conway are uninsured. And medical expenses are the leading cause of financial disaster and bankruptcy in the U.S. And so I think many of us in Conway are struggling with debt, whether it's student loan debt, credit card debt, our mortgage because we got in with those subprime mortgages or we bought a house when we were at a really good time in our lives and then we had struggles since then. But so now we're living paycheck to paycheck and we are one disaster, one $500 medical bill or you know your car breaking down away from financial ruin. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. All right. So let's look at, uh, you're running for uh, Justice of the Peace, and Justice of the Peace sits on the Quorum Court. Um, uh, so let's look at previous administrations. Let's look at the uh, Quorum Court that's uh, providing uh, leadership now, and let's look at previous uh, Quorum Courts. Evaluate um, their efforts to address poverty in the county. Uh, would you give them an A? Would you give them a B, C? Uh, and, and why do you give them that grade? I'm not good at giving grades. Okay. I know I'm an educator, but I don't have to give out grades. Right. I give percentages. And okay, okay. So I, I don't know about a grade, but I will say they've done some things okay. that I think are good. They do provide some grants. Um, they provide grants to the Community Action Program, mm-hmm. Extension Services, Council on Aging, Independent Living, this one, I don't know, Junior Livestock. I have to look more into that one. Bethlehem House, Excel, Salvation Army, Children's mm-hmm. Advocacy Alliance, the Red Cross, and the Women's Shelter. And that's from this budget year. Okay. Um, they also are working very closely with our judicial system on like the teen court and the okay. drug court, um, the compassion court. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that they are doing those things. I think we need to expand them for okay. sure. Um, they did do some things like closing the vote centers in mm-hmm. Enola and Cato and Centerville, which I think probably had a bigger impact on some of our impoverished communities, our elderly, things like that, that um, that is going to hurt, I think, our impoverished communities more okay. than 
and they kind of let on. And so that was, even though that was a decision made by the election commission, okay. only two JPs even came to that uh, meeting where they decided to close those. And the part of the problem was that they didn't have enough voting machines, which was something that was appropriated and voted on by the court and court. They, mm -hmm. they didn't buy enough machines to meet their needs. And okay. so that was something that the court and court could have um, done something about. Okay. Like that. um, that's all I've got right here. Okay. Right. So how do you, how do you feel, um, this is a follow-up question, uh, as a justice of the peace, um, and representing not just your district, but also the county, um, as a, as a collective body, how could you work with, uh, the state reps, state senators, and how could you work with the, uh, city councils in, in each of the cities to address poverty? What are, how do you see your role in that? I definitely see that as one of the huge roles of the JP um, is to work with others, work with city council. I know that Conway has the homeless task force, and it would be mm -hmm. great if we had a county representative on that task force, and maybe even a homeless task force for the county or mm -hmm. in conjunction with other um, cities, um, looking at things like that. Yeah, because the uh, county, uh, based off the last uh, point in time, counts about 220 uh homeless individuals, uh, and so the the city, Conway, bears the brunt of those individuals uh, looking for services, and so yes, I would agree with you, uh, a county effort, county representative would be helpful yes. uh, in that regard. And that would help the county as well, because if we could help those people work and become more productive members of our community, mm -hmm. and they maybe could eventually buy a house and pay property taxes and do things like that, it would all, it would all circle around benefit and that's what I think is really important to realize too is that nothing happens in a bubble nothing happens by itself JPs don't make decisions completely by themselves and it's going to take all of us working with the courts and working with the um, legislators working with our state legislators and our um, federal legislators to enact policies and laws to decriminalize some things and do some really comprehensive criminal justice reform. Do you, you want to explore that? Uh, if you, to explore you that? want me to, to uh, if we could decriminalize some things and, and stop putting people in jail for, okay. for things where they're not hurting somebody else okay. so that they're not losing income from being incarcerated and they're not especially if you're putting someone in jail because they have failed to pay a speeding ticket and then they didn't go to court for whatever reason, maybe they just didn't want to go, or maybe they were at work and they couldn't go because they, they don't have a sick day, and so they can't get off work to go to court. And so then they get pulled over for a broken taillight and they have a failure to appear, okay. and so they're now they're going to jail because ultimately, in the beginning, because they couldn't pay a speeding ticket, and now you've lost even more wages when mm -hmm. you're in jail and everything, and it just becomes this downward spiral Okay. And I think if we could work with the criminal justice system, work with the police officers on what they're going to charge for, or work with the prosecutors on mm -hmm. what they're going to prosecute, work with the judges on the kind of sentences that they're going to meet out, and maybe instead of jail time, we could look at some community service or mm -hmm. some education or things like that. Let me ask you, in, in, your, in, my, in my experience, uh, going to uh, district court and just observing uh the number of people who have to come, you know, for traffic violations or things like that, and they've had to make the decision of, 
coming to court versus going to work and not going to court, you know, obviously ends up in a, in a warrant uh, mm-hmm. being issued. Um, what do you think the hesitancy is in, in making some of these reforms on uh, issues such as that, especially non, we would say nonviolent offenses, offenses that are not harming anybody. You know, you spoke about like a traffic, you know, traffic mm-hmm. violation or a, a broken taillight. Um, what do you think the hesitancy is in, in making some of those changes? I think there are probably a lot of things going into it. Maybe okay. one might be an image thing. Is that we must be tough on crime. If they do the crime, they pay the time, and it's become okay. this this narrative that we feel like we have to fulfill to impress some of our base or something. Or maybe it's a money making thing because even if they do go to court for a traffic fine, then they mm-hmm. still pay a jail fine, a jail fee. That goes mm-hmm. then to cover the county jail, and mm-hmm. so think of some of that might be a little bit about how can we make this into a revenue stream, and it doesn't need to be a revenue stream. There are other ways that we can get revenue. We just okay. really need to explore some different options. Um, I think those are probably the biggest ones, but there I think there's probably a whole spectrum. Okay. Of do you mind if we take a question? Yeah. Okay. Um, a question was asked, how do you feel about the funding possibly going to building a new jail facility instead of putting that means uh, towards something else more beneficial to the community of Conway? And, and I'll, I'll expand that to any of the, the cities within the, the county. Yeah. I definitely feel like we should explore some criminal justice reform first before we even talk about having to build a new jail. I mean, we just built the new justice um, building, okay. and I think there are some difficulties facing our current county jail system. We have some overcrowding at um, our maximum security facility, which is the Unit One, the, the original county jail. Okay. Um, they're working on changing some of that by reclassifying some of the the inmates. Right now, they have either violent or nonviolent, okay. and all the, the violent ones have to go to the maximum security facility. Okay. So they're working on a reclassification system where they can maybe say, you know, like high risk high medium risk, medium risk, low risk, and they can move some of those inmates who maybe had a violent charge but are not really violent or who are showing themselves to be a lower risk for violence over to the other building. And so they're looking at ways to reduce that overcrowding at Unit 1. but there are there there right now is a pressing need because they have not enough beds and people on the floor on mats right now that they need to do something about the people who are there right now and so okay. I think that's that those things are going to need to be funded okay. now because we have that problem now but I think in the future when we're talking about trying to build a new jail or things like that that there are definitely other things that we need to discuss before we go there we need okay. to look at the criminal justice reform. Okay. And our education of um, just education on so many things would fix a lot of our problems, I think. Whether okay. it's actually educating our children or educating the public on some okay. of these things that of uh, why we need these reforms and why we need these changes. Um, but yeah, I would definitely want to do some research and data gathering on some of those before I would ever say, yes, we need to build a new jail. Okay. All right. Thank you for that question. Uh, once again, this is Dr. Philip Fletcher, and I'm here with Christy Berry. She is running for Faulkner County Justice of the Peace District 9. Uh, we are discussing uh, poverty as it relates to Faulkner County. 
And as we continue, so considering your area and of District 9 and also of Faulkner County as a whole, uh, what solutions uh, would you propose to address homelessness, uh, to address uh, health care, to address employment as it relates to the county? Just I'm going to throw that out there to you. You can pick one. You can take them all. All right. I think number one is education. We have got to start with our school-aged children on some social and emotional skills, on some conflict resolution skills and mm -hmm. things about how to in interact with each other. And then as they get older, some you know comprehensive sex education so that we okay. don't have a person whose entire life path is thrown off because of an unexpected pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, which some of us older ones can use as well, apparently. Natural family planning is not foolproof. Um, the <laughs> anyway, um, education beyond that to our drug courts and our teen courts, mm -hmm. um, even expanding that into some of our younger adults who are in prison. If we could, right now they have wage training through the Adult Education Center. Mm -hmm. I forgot what the acronym is for, but it's kind of job skills training at the prison. But they need more. They, mm -hmm. they are modeling their, this reclassification system that they're doing to reclassify them from nonviolent and violent to you know, high risk, medium high risk, low risk. Um, they're modeling that off another um, prison in the state, not prison, county jail. Okay. And they, they keep saying, well, they've done this and they've had a lot of great success, success. And then he said, well, another component is all the programs that they have. They have all these programs to teach these daily living skills, to teach them, you know, financial money management, conflict mm -hmm. resolution, so that you you don't have to get into a fist fight every time you disagree with mm -hmm. somebody and end up right here back in jail because you're on probation, or teaching you how to manage your money, mm -hmm. so and teaching you job skills and job training so that you can get out and get a job, and then that comes back to also decriminalizing some things so that you don't come out with a felony. And it's right. impossible for you to get a job. Um, you, you have to get out and get a job and be a productive member of society in order to break that cycle right. and not end up right back where okay. you were in prison. Um, and so that's, I mean, education just across the board. Uh, also, I think working with city council, working with the different cities on some, some city council partnerships as far as it, it relates to poverty, to homelessness, to um, making sure... Uh, we can get some homeless shelters or more, you know, I know the city is building some uh, low-income housing, which is, we definitely need it, but to make sure that we're not taking away people's land and disenfranchising people while we're doing it, okay. I think there, you know, we can make sure that we preserve dignity okay. while we address these issues. Okay. Um, working with our state legislators, hopefully Maureen Skinner um, as our state senator, um, to, um, oh, I had it right in front of me and I lost it, to do things like create a state earned income tax credit. Right now we have a federal earned income tax credit where you have to be working in order to qualify for it, and a lot of people don't even know that they have to file their taxes to claim it. So first of all, some education to make sure that people are claiming their federal earned income tax credit, which then they put back into the local economy, mm -hmm. usually. It helps boost everyone all around. Um, and then create 
creating one at the state level as well, because um, evidence has shown that for every one dollar you put into something like the earned income tax credit, you get three dollars back in, in economy improvement. So it's a good investment that you get a good return on your investment. So don't look at it as, as oh, I'm saying we're going to spend more money because it's going to save us money, too. You have to look at the, play the long game sometimes, I think. And then to make sure, like, working with the state legislators to change some laws, decriminalize some things that are those victimless crimes, we call them. Um, working at the county level, I think there are some things that we could do right here at the county level. We could look at not even maybe raising taxes and all those things. There are different ways we could look at increasing our revenue stream, which has been really hurt because we do have um, our county tax, our, um, the sales and use tax that we have. We collect a half cent sales and use tax, tax in the county. It's been decreasing because of the increase of, of people buying things online. We're losing some of that revenue. Um, but we can look at reallocating that. Right now it's going half to roads and half to the um, jail. Okay. And so our road budget is really doing very great. And so maybe we could take a little bit from that road budget and put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. We can look at reallocating some things. And I think one of the places that we need to be looking at reallocating is paying county employees, increasing their salaries mm -hmm. as an example to the, the rest of the state that, that we can pay our employees what they're worth. Um, they do have great benefits and health insurance, and that's great. But also providing some paid parental leave. Um, I know our state employees now get four weeks of paid parental leave, and I think we could follow that example and lead by example by providing our county employees with paid parental leave. Um, I think we can do some things like that that really can change some things. Okay. All right. Uh, another question has come in. Uh, uh, many young people who grow up in broken homes, some and some will end up in our criminal justice system. Uh, would you support faith-based uh, support to help these young people? I would support all the support they could get, whether it's faith-based or not faith-based. Okay. Um, I think both have merits, and mm -hmm. I am a person of faith myself and definitely believe that not everything has to be faith-based in name to mm -hmm. be faith-based. <laughs> but yeah, I would support all the, the support that we could get them. Okay. Okay, so um, concluding th comments, thoughts, uh, what do you, would you like to leave the people with uh, today about Christy Berry? I would like to leave the people with today that I hope you've seen today that I do my homework, I do my research, I will come to the forum court well informed and knowledgeable about any issues that come before the court. I will make wise, data-driven decisions and be responsible with our taxpayers' investment in Faulkner County. I want to make a difference and make Faulkner County a brighter and better place, make a brighter future for Faulkner County, and really make some progressive decisions that will drive Faulkner County forward for my children and my children's children. And if you would like to see that happen, then you can support me with your vote on November 6th with donations, with just support, sharing this video, sharing anything else about me, just letting people know that I'm here and I'm ready and willing to serve and I hope to make a difference. Okay, thank you very much, Christy. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you for visiting with us today. 
Uh, on June 22nd, we will have Sheila Whitmore Isby joining us. She will be uh, running for re-election uh, at the Conway City Council. Uh, this has been Humanity Matters, a discussion and reflections on theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. Uh, for more information, you can visit my website, philipfletcher.org. Uh, like us on YouTube, Humanity Matters. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also Google Play. And always remember this, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. You guys take care, and God bless.